Good morning, Harmony. Or should I say what portion of Harmony decided to show up this morning? Like, is it a time change or everybody on a group vacation? I mean, what's going on this morning? Um, a couple of announcements before we jump in. First, I had a great opportunity last Sunday night. Uh, 20 years ago, Harmony Baptist Church was part of uh, planting the first Vietnamese uh, Protestant church in San Antonio. And uh, so every you know, five, ten years, they reach out to us and just say thank you. They were celebrating their 20th uh, anniversary. Uh, so um, even though I wasn't here, I graciously went there to accept all the Thanks, and talk about how wonderful we are as a church. Um, but it, it was an awesome experience. I do have to tell you, it was kind of fun. Um, we were there, and most of the service was in Vietnamese. So I'm not completely understanding everything that's happening during the time. But about an hour and 15 minutes in, they come in and they go, Okay, kids, go ahead. Let's go out to the kids' part of the service for the second half. And, and I know as a pastor, I'm not supposed to think that way, but I was like, second half? <laughs> second half? <laughs> so we were, there, uh, we were there for about three and a half hours, um, but it, it was awesome. It was just an awesome moment. It was kind of funny because Nicole decided to come last minute with the kiddos, which I think at that juncture, she was starting to question that decision. <laughs> but... Great fellowship. There's bounce castles, amazing food. I don't know what I was eating, but it was really, really good. Um, and it was just a reminder. A reminder that the church is so much bigger than this. Uh, the church isn't just us here in this building. The church is every believer across the world that calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And it is a beautiful thing sometimes to be forced out of your comfort zone and remember how big that church is. And remember that there are people all over this world serving Him, building His kingdom, and doing amazing things. And sometimes we've got to pull back from how our focus just gets centered here around us, and even if we get a little bit less selfish, our own church, and realize God's doing amazing things everywhere. So I just want to share that with you. It's great to see the harvest of the seeds planted years and years ago that God is using those to create bountiful, bountiful gains. Uh, the, the number of young people there, the number of people whose lives were changed was just amazing. So I just want to share that with you guys, and thank you for the opportunity to go there. Um, if you haven't grabbed one, make sure you grab the newsletter for June. Uh, summer, so we got a few things going on here. Let me point out a few of them. Uh, Fishers of Men, you're going to see two dates on there. There's only one. It's the 9th, Saturday the 9th at 9 a.m. This is the second meeting for this group. Uh, this is where we're asking the guys to come out. Uh, what we're going to do is Joe's got some different stuff set up for us, but we're also going to kind of talk about the game plan for the summer. So if you can be here for breakfast, 9 a.m., if you got any questions, you see Brother Joe about that. Uh, on the 12th, we have our food bank service day. So again, we meet at the San Antonio Food Bank. We work there for a couple hours, uh, helping people get prepared for their food. It really is a fun time if you haven't been out there, so uh, if you can make it out. Any questions on that, you can talk to Ava. And then VBS, it's in July 16th through the 20th, so we're getting geared up for that. A couple things there. One, if you have kids who are going to go to VBS, either get with Diane and fill out a form, or go to our website, uh, which is harmonychurchsa.org. HarmonyChurchSA.org, and on there you can fill out the form uh, for your kids. But we'd like to get as many of our kids registered so we can start understanding how many people we're going to have. We will have a couple work days on the 23rd, that's Saturday. We'll be meeting up here at 10 a.m. to get working on VBS. And then that following Wednesday, we'll also use Wednesday night service as a time for us to do some uh, decorating for VBS. All right? 
We good? One other thing, uh, Miss Bernice had surgery this week, so we want to make sure she feels loved even though she's not here. We also want to help her out because, you know, after surgery it's a little hard to get things prepared and ready. So we're trying to get some food uh, set up for her and meals. Um, if you would like to prepare a meal and have it delivered, please see Miss Lily or Miss Moreno, and they will help get those scheduled, mapped out, and delivered to her. So either see Miss Lily or Miss Moreno, and we'll make sure uh, Bernice is taken care of. All right? We got it? We good? I have to be honest with you guys, I was a little sad. Um, this week because our time in Exodus is finally coming to an end. I was sitting there and I was thinking about next week's sermon. I was like, I don't even know what book I'm going to be in. Been in Exodus for so long. Like, feels weird to not know that I'll just be in Exodus again. But here we are, sermon 33 on Exodus, wrapping up. I don't think it's been 33. I think it's only been about 18. 18. Which, if my professors in, from, from college could hear me, they'd be very upset with me because you're never supposed to go over six sermons in a series, which I never listen to. So, here we are. We're in Exodus. We're wrapping up. Let me recap. Let's get the table set, and then we'll jump into this last conclusion uh, to the series. So, remember, key to the series. Even though this is about Old Testament Israel coming out of Egypt, it's about you and me. It's the exact same journey you and I are on. God meets us. We are bound in slavery. For us, it's sin. For the, Egypt, for the Israelites, it was to Egypt. And God, in miraculous, awesome power, comes. And He frees you. And it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you did anything to earn it. It's Him in His gracious mercy and love coming into your life of bondage, breaking those chains, and setting you free. Awesome gift. That is God being our Savior. But He doesn't stop there. He then asks you with that freedom, what will you do? With that freedom, what direction will you choose to go? And for those of us that choose to follow Him, He now takes you in your freedom and He transforms you into something totally new. A whole new creation. And so throughout this journey, we've talked about three key verses, which by now I hope you have put into your heart. I hope they are in your toolbox. And as you go throughout life and you have these moments pop up, then you will come back to these and you will be able to use these weapons to encourage you and to motivate you to keep pushing forward. And so those three verses we focused on are one, Luke 16, 13. What does it say? You tell me. What does it say? Can't have two masters. Folks, as Christians, God is not our advisor. He's not our buddy. He's not our friend. He's our master. He is the Lord Almighty. He speaks, we do. That has to be the mentality that we have in our relationship with Him. And if that's true, if He's our master, there's only room for one master. You cannot go through this life trying to serve multiple masters. You do that, you will be divided, and you will fall. That's what God's Word tells us. And so as Christians, we make the choice to say, I have one master, he's the only one I listen to, and I go where he tells me. The second truth is in Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6. Along this journey, because I was raised in sin, because I live in a culture of sin, I have to understand as I am being transformed, God's ways will not match up with mine. 
And so sometimes on this journey, when He is calling me, what He is asking me to do will not make sense. What He's instructing me to do will actually go against everything I feel makes sense in my heart and in my mind. But in those moments, what do I remember? He's master. He's perfect. He is the one with all knowledge, all wisdom, all love, all mercy, all everything. And if He says go, I'm going to trust in His understanding, not mine. And to be honest, brothers and sisters, this is what really makes the difference in a disciple. Many of us are okay to follow God when it's easy. Many of us are okay to follow God when it's comfortable. It's in those moments in life where you go, man, I so badly want to do this. But God goes, no, brother, I need you here. It's in those moments when we go, I will trust you, Father, even though I do not understand. That's when discipleship shows. And our expectation is, is if we have made the choice that He is our Master, and we are leaning on His understanding, not ours, then the third thing is going to happen. As 1 Peter 1 says, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Now understand, holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means set aside. And so what this means is, well, you and I will still continue to mess up. We will still continue to fall. We will still continue to make mistakes. It will be clear in the pattern of our life that we are removed from everything else. And we are set aside for the purposes of God. It will be clear to everyone, well, we are not perfect. We have been removed from this culture. We set apart ourselves. We are His. We look like Him. We are used by Him. We are led by Him. This is the journey of the Israelites, and this should be your journey. You have found a master. You trust in that master, and he is changing you so that people see it. If those things aren't happening, this journey is going to be one where we are not making progress. And so I really hope over this series, you've internalized those, you've evaluated yourself on those, and you know where you currently stand in that journey. All right? today. Flip with me to Exodus chapter 40. So Exodus chapter 40, we're going to be in verses 17 through 38. Now brothers and sisters, as I read starting in verse 17, I want to give you just a little nugget for when you're doing personal study. There's a tendency when you're in books sometimes like Exodus or especially the next book, Leviticus, that you're going to hit passages where, for lack of a better word, you get bored. Have you ever, ever hit those passages? Anybody done this where like, you sit out in January and you're like, I'm going to read through the Bible? And you're doing real well until you hit Leviticus and then you're like, oh my goodness, I am just... Stalling. It's almost like you know you're driving on smooth road, and then all of a sudden you're like in this deep mud, and you just aren't moving as part. When you're doing that, pull back a little bit and understand what God's trying to say in the detail. It's like when you get to those passages where it's you know so and so begat so and so and so and so begat so and so and so and so begat so and so. There's not necessarily a lot of value for you individually to remember that that person begat that person. But there is, if you step back, the value in reminding yourself what God's saying in this passage is, this is real. This isn't some mythology. 
This isn't some philosophy. This is real history of God interacting with His people and moving through real people's lives. And in those moments, what He wants you to be able to have the confidence in is you can track this back. You can go through history and you can find these people and you can see these moments where God the Father, not just passionately sitting back, but passionately acting in the history of the world, moved and led His people. And so in those moments, don't just look at the words, but step back and go, what motivated our Father to put those words there? What value came from them? Similarly, as we start here in chapter 40, verse 17, if you don't watch yourself, there's a tendency to trail off. Because some of these details, they just don't mean anything to you and I because we haven't seen them, we haven't touched them, we haven't felt them. They're foreign to us. But pay attention to what God's trying to say here. It says, Now in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. And remember, the tabernacle is the mobile temple. Right? In Jesus' time, Jerusalem has been established. The people are in the promised land God has given them. And so they have a permanent temple erected to represent the presence of God. Well, this time, they're not in the promised land yet. So God still has the desire for there to be a physical manifestation of His presence. For there to be a location that represents His holiness in His house. But it needs to be mobile. Why? Because the people are mobile. They're moving. And that's what the tabernacle is. It's a mobile temple that represents that God's presence lives among these people. And so we've been throughout all these chapters seeing the details that God has called them to do. And now it's finally happening. This is in verse 18. Moses erected the tabernacle and laid its sockets and set up its boards and inserted its bars and erected its pillars. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Pay attention to that. Anytime you start reading a passage and you see something keep getting repeated, probably something worth you taking to know. Then he took the testimony and he put it into the ark and attached the poles to the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up a veil for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he put the table and the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. He set the arrangement of bread in order on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the lampstand and the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lighted the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he placed the gold altar and the tent of meeting in front of the veil, and he burnt fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he set up the veil for the doorway of the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering before the doorway of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and he offered on it burnt offering and the meal offering, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He placed the lava between the tent of meeting and the altar, and he put water in it for washing. From it, Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they entered the tent of meeting, and when they approached the altar, they washed, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He erected the court all around the tabernacle and the altar, and hung up the veil for the gateway of the court. Thus Moses finished the work. 
And so from this first portion, do you get why we get such detail? Let's be real. This is not the first time God has outlined these instructions to Moses. In fact, there's three places where these instructions are given throughout the book of Exodus. Three places that God describes how this tabernacle is to be structured, made, and laid out. So why then again in Exodus 40 is God going through such detail to say that these things were done? Couldn't he have just said, and Moses constructed it as he was told to? He could have said that. Why does he pause and go through such detail to go through the steps again and at the end of each of them say what? Moses did just as the Lord had commanded. Because he wants that to sink in. Like, have you ever taught kids how many times you need to teach to say something to them before it even sets in? A million. <laughs> Feels like that sometimes. Most of the time they will teach you when you're talking to kids at least three to six times you need to go through something. If you don't make a point three to six times, it is not going to sink into their head. It's not there. God's trying to make sure you guys understand. Moses wasn't just working. Moses was working to the detail of everything that God had said. Moses heard God, listened intently to the instructions, to a T, and then followed them. And so, brothers and sisters, the point I want you to really take home, and this is kind of not in fashion anymore in modern culture, especially even in Christianity, is obedience is huge. And the reason obedience is huge is this. Obedience is the key to intimacy with God. Obedience in our relationship with God is not about Him showing power over you. God already knows He's more powerful than you. If God wanted to make you do things, He could. If all God cared about was subjugation of His people, He would act in a completely and utterly different way. He's never cared about that, though. He cares about showing you He loves you. And what He hopes is, is that when you've received that love from Him, but man, it motivates you to want to serve Him. See, this is where our culture gets confused sometimes when they come to church and they hear us talking about these things, right? They hear things like master and servant. They hear things like submission. They hear things like obedience. And they go like, all those concepts sound ugly to Americans. Right? No American man raises their son and goes, man... I hope one day you will raise up to be a very submissive servant. That's what I want of you, son. I want you to be the most submissive servant we've ever seen. I, you just don't, like, you never see men trying to teach their children that. It's funny, even in marriage vows nowadays, a lot of times when I talk to people who aren't churched, when we talk about women submitting to their, or wives submitting to their husbands, like, submit. Well, that's, what do you mean by that? And the reason for it is we assume that submission comes from another force beating you into it. We're used to submission in the type of like MMA fighting submission where two forces go at each other, only one's left standing, and one at a weakness has to go, I submit. But really what God's talking about more is a people who look at Him and go, you have done so much for me. I want to submit to you. Yes, I, yes, I mean, yes, if it was a force of wills, we would have to submit to God, but He's never made it that way. He wants us to look at Him and go, Father, I love you so much. 
I cherish so much that you came to me when I was bound in slavery and you set me free when I didn't deserve it. That all I want to do is be your servant. I'm paraphrasing, but one of my favorite psalms talks about how it is more beautiful to be a servant in the kingdom of God than it is to be a king anywhere else. Give me the lowliest job in God's kingdom and I'll take that any day over the highest job you could give in this world. One of my favorite books as a kid was The Count of Monte Cristo. And in The Count of Monte Cristo, there's this beautiful relationship where the Count has this faithful servant, but he's never asked him to be a servant. What happens is he saves this man's life. He spares it. And in such gratitude, he goes, I commit to you from this day forward, I will be here to help you. If it weren't for you, I'd be dead, but you spared me. And so every breath I have from here, I give to you. Because I acknowledge this life wouldn't happen without you. And that's the sentiment God's hoping we have in our hearts. I don't have to follow God. I'm not forced to follow God. But dear Lord, I want to follow God. And so the obedience displayed in me is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of love. It's me saying, Father, I want to obey you because I love you. Father, I do this because when I obey you, what I want you to hear in my actions is, Dad, I love you. That's what I want you to see. And so, when you start to understand that, that, that obedience really is just the, the act of love, then you understand where this intimacy comes. Because when you obey, what you're screaming through your actions is, I love you. 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 And what that opens up is God just flooding into your life. Look what happens. Look at how this beautifully transpires, right? So you have all this passage about Moses obeying in detail what God has asked him to do, right? He, he is focused on all these things and he does exactly as the Lord commanded. Then look what happens. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's funny, I was actually studying this passage pretty deeply this week, and, and uh, one of the pastors I listened to a lot, Matt Chandler, was breaking it down. And he goes, in the Hebrew, he goes, there's really not that word then. So, so when you look at like verse 33, it says, thus Moses finished the work then. He's like, then is us putting that in in English. Really, it should almost just be like one action. Right? Moses finished the work, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And what I want you to get from that is like this obedience. It shows screams to God that you love Him. That when you do it, He is just ready to pounce. He is just ready to pounce. And in fact, that brings us to our second point. God is eager to fulfill His promises in your life. Now, brothers and sisters, what I need you to like really take this in is, I think sometimes because of the nature of humanity, we don't feel this. In fact, I think most of us, if we're honest about our journey with God, where there's been many moments where we go, man, I feel like I am just waiting. Right? Anybody in that moment, right, where you're like, I've done what I need to do. <sighs> where are you, God? Why, why aren't you showing up? 
I've done what you've asked. I've prayed. I've been in your word. I've submitted myself to you. And I, and I feel like I, I'm, I'm like waiting for you to act. Brothers and sisters, what you need to know about that, that's your lack of vision, not reality. God is always working. Always. You just may not see it. You just not, may not have the vision and the perspective to see everything that He is putting together. It's why so often in our lives, right, we'll get through these seasons of pain and suffering and we'll look back and go like, oh, now I get it. Now, now I get it. I thought you actually weren't doing anything and in fact you were doing more than I could even comprehend. I was playing checkers, God, and you were playing chess. And so what we need to understand is we have an eager God who is sitting and waiting to act in our lives at every moment. Don't fall into this idea that your God is, is sitting there dispassionately just waiting. He's eager to interact in your life. God, Moses obeys and the cloud covers this entire tent of meeting. I love it. It says, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And you want to know how much it filled it? Look next. Verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There was no room for Moses. God's presence so profoundly came upon the tabernacle, no one could enter. He was filling every inch of it. There was no doubt to the people that God was there. And so you see this beautifulness. You see Moses obediently listening, obediently acting, God flooding that space with His presence and His glory. And man, isn't that what we all want? I mean, that, that's... When I read that, like, I want my heart to be that tabernacle. I, I want it to be where I am so filled with His presence, there is no room for anything else. I am so filled with God that when other things try to come into my heart, there's no room. There is no room. He has filled every nook and cranny. You can't fit in here. He has consumed it all. So brothers and sisters, I want you to pause and think about that for a second because I think sometimes we get a little confused when we read this. Let me, let me, let me take you through the, the last few passages here and then break it down. Verse 36, it says, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel. When you look at that, I want you to be honest for a second and think about something. Does that kind of sound desirable to you? Does it almost sound easier? Like, like, do you get what's happening for the Israelites? There's this tent, this tabernacle, and God sits upon it. 
by day in a cloud and by night a cloud of fire. And when he wants them to move, what happens? The cloud starts moving. And all of Israel goes, guess it's time for us to move. Is there part of you that reads that and goes, man, I could use that cloud. Wouldn't that be nice in the morning, wake up, like, where does God want me to go? Oh, fire cloud, going this way. Right? Right, come to those forks in the road and be like, okay, wait, just wait, the cloud's going to move. Cloud's going that way, let's go. I, I think there's some of us, I know me, I read this and I go like, oh, that'd be nice. That'd be really nice. Because there are lots of moments where I'm like, whew, don't really know which way to go. And in fact, let's be real, right? The, the tough ones aren't where it's like black and white. The tough ones are where like, you ever sit in these moments and you're like, biblical wisdom here, I can make a case. Biblical wisdom here, I can, I can make a case. Okay, what do I do? I've got two paths. Neither one is directly sinful. Both actually has an angle on it which seems biblical and to fit into God's kingdom. Both seem like I could use my talents and abilities in. Where, where do I go? I think in those moments that cloud of fire would be pretty nice. But to be honest, if we say that, I think we're missing out a lot. I think it actually convicts us. Because let's be real about this cloud of fire. This cloud of fire was a worse situation than you and I are in right now. It's funny, if you ever read the Old Testament as you go through it, when the Spirit of the Lord shows up in people's lives, like crazy things happen. Like if you read most of Samson's amazing acts, right before Samson does those, it will say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then Moses or Samson goes and does something, you just like you're like, no man can do that. Right? There's one story where uh, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Elijah and he outruns a horse-drawn chariot. And so in the Old Testament, like when the Spirit of the Lord shows up, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And so why I think this is crazy to us is I think we in the New Testament look back and go like, oh man, I wish I had that cloud to follow. These Old Testament people, if you told them you walk around every day with the Spirit of the Lord living in you, they'd be like, you must be like super people. I can't even imagine what you guys do every day. Whenever the Spirit of the Lord shows up to us, we write stories about it. Because something big happens. You guys live with it? Every single day? I don't think they could even comprehend that truth. And so what we need to realize, as beautiful as this sounds of what the people in Exodus had, this flaming cloud of fire to guide them, it's far worse than where we stand. Brothers and sisters, for us, God's presence should be perpetual. You know how I talked about, like, I want my spirit to be that tabernacle? It is. It is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Read that again. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? There's no tent anymore. 
There's no temple in Jerusalem. There's no building anymore. You want to know where it resides? In you. In me. That spirit isn't restricted to a building. It's in us. And brothers and sisters, where this concerns me is, if that's true, we better look different. Because back then, when the Spirit filled that temple, everyone saw. When the Spirit of God set upon that tabernacle, no one was confused about whether it was there. Back then, when the Spirit of the Lord moved, you saw it. You felt it. You could not deny it. It was not something that you could cover your eyes to. It was right there for everyone to see. If we're that tabernacle now, is it that visible to the people around us? If we are that temple, if we are that place where His Spirit comes down and it fills all of it, if that cloud of fire is sitting upon our hearts, why don't we look different? Why aren't we shaking the world to its core? I think, brothers and sisters, what this convicts us of is we've gotten really good at ignoring the cloud of fire. Because really, there's only a couple options. Either this is all bunk, this isn't true, that spirit really isn't filling us up, we're not really the temple of God. Two, the spirit's changed. It used to be powerful, it used to be profound, it used to do the miraculous, and now, you know, it just kind of hangs out. Which if that's true, that our God isn't worth being worshipped because He's lied to us. It means He's changed, it's not what He says He is. It means He is not everything that is awesome and amazing, which I can't buy into that. So if God's Word's true and our God is who He says He is, then we've got some explaining to do. We've got some explaining to do about how this glory, this fire, this passion, this love, this unbelievable God lives in us and no one notices. Now, brothers and sisters, let me just pause. I'm being a little hard on us. Because it's not true that no one notices. In fact, I think we can look around most of our lives and see those ripple effects of life's changed. People sitting here worshiping God, praising God, and knowing God that didn't before. Why? Because of that fire in our spirits. But what I would convict you on is I feel like for most of us, it's like every now and then that fire peaks out. Every now and then there's this moment where it's like, oh wow, something's different in you right now. And then it goes away. And instead of it being like this fire, this flame, the Spirit of God is in us every single moment. It's like there's these few and far between moments that it pops up. And at those we marvel and God works and things change. But then boom, it just kind of fades out. And if that's happening, that's because of us. It's because of us shutting off our ears, shutting off our eyes, closing our hearts, and not letting the Spirit lead us. God has not changed. That fire is still there. It's just in you. And if that's true, brothers and sisters, we got to get better at letting that prompting Spirit move us. 
there's always uh, been this visual image from a, a Native American parable that I, I, I felt so good at describing how this happens to us. They're talking about sin and they say the first time you do something wrong, it's like a, a knife is plunged into your heart and the pain is glaring. And each time you do it again, it just twists a little bit more. And man, that first time around, every twist is so painful. But then something happens once the blade's gone all the way around. The next time it moves, it's not so hard. Everything's been cut out. And soon you can just keep splinting that blade and you don't feel a thing because you've gotten so used to it. I think for some of us, we have learned to drown out the Spirit of God. It's not that He's not speaking. It's that you and I have gotten really good at ignoring Him. Nicole marvels at my ability to do this with our kids. We'll get me in the house or in the car and they can just be like, you know when kids just decide to make nonsense words up and just go? Well, we regularly have this happening in the car, but I have this ability to just kind of like zone out and they're loud and they're singing and there's all this noise and I'm just like whoosh, in la la land doesn't affect me and she often almost like pull me sometimes and be like hey is this not driving you crazy I'm like what she's like all that noise and I'm like oh yeah 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 okay guys be quiet didn't even notice I hope I never get that way with God's voice but if I'm honest I think I do and brothers and sisters, I, I want to pull back just a little bit from last week. Remember I talked about us being extraordinary, faithful, and ordinary things? I think you and I have gotten really good at blocking out the Spirit of God on what we think is little. And what I'm talking about is like, you know that moment when you see someone at work and you know things aren't right? But when you ask them how they're doing and they go, oh, I'm good. And you just walk away. You know that little voice in you that's like, you should probably circle back with them. I don't think that's a little voice. I think that's the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God trying to pull you and go, hey, I have put you here for a moment. I'm hoping you see something. Act. But I think something scary happens. We get so good at like ignoring that little prompt that eventually we just don't even pay attention anymore. The Spirit of God is in your heart every day drawing you to do things. It's just you and I, we have come to put a value statement on these and when we think it's little or insignificant, we just drive right by. Stop doing that. And don't get me wrong, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. There are daily moments where I really sit back, pause, and think about the day I go, I blew an opportunity there. Either I convinced myself I was too busy, or I had more important things to do, or there'd be a better time later. But you know what really happened? In those moments, I didn't act like a servant. In those moments, the master said, go, and I said, not right now. I'll get to it in a little bit. That should not be the habit of my life. I should be good at those moments when he goes, Luke, take care of that. Yes, sir. Drop everything else. Let's go. 
how many of us have learned to turn that off? The flame of God is in you. That spirit of the Lord that filled that tabernacle and left no other room, it is in you. That is what God promised. It's what Jesus died to allow into our lives. Do not forsake it. You are living tabernacles of God. Show it. Show it. Let's pray. Dearly Father, as we come before you, Lord, we are your vessels. Father, just like those tabernacle, that tabernacle that you so detailedly built, that you had purpose for in every inch of its existence, Lord, we know that you have that in us. Father, you handcrafted us in our mother's wombs. You weaved us together, Lord, for a specific purpose in this world. And Father, as your children, it is your spirit of power, love, and self-discipline that has filled us. Father, let that cloud of fire fill us. Father, let us go everywhere we go, shining that light for everyone to see. Father, remind us to hear your voice and to act upon it. Let us perpetually be in your presence, God. Father, thank you for freeing us and thank you for transforming us. We love you. We serve you. And we trust in you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come forward. Brother James will be in the back as Maria sings. If there's anything on your heart that you need to pray about, feel free to come forward. I encourage everybody in this room to really ask where they stand. For some of you, you need to make the choice to allow God to be your master. For some of you, you've made that choice, but you need to learn to start letting Him and His wisdom guide you. For some of you, you've started that journey, but you need to now let Him transform you. Each and every one of us needs to pray to our Father to reveal to us where we're at and what steps we take to move forward. Let's go to the Lord and pray.
Sisters, I'll encourage you before we leave, just I don't care what circumstances you face. 
I don't care how dark your week has been. I don't care how great your week has been. If the truth is, is that Spirit fills us, there is not a bad day. Any day where that Spirit fills these vessels, that is a day of praise. Remember, you have that Spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, and you have a mission. Go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. So get to it. I love you. Have a great week. Amen. Don't forget the cake.